is when they hire somebody, they just don't throw them on the front line. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they onboard them in a very deliberative way. And, uh, and if they suspect that that person is not going to be able to deliver the goods, they don't let them go past onboarding. They just say, That's Hey, true. this is not for you. Yeah. This is not for you. We'll, you know, we'll help you get another job, but you know, this is not the space for you. In business, you want to consistently attract incredible people, grow at an accelerated rate, and create a unique competitive advantage. The goal, it isn't to just be the best, but is to be the favorite, the favorite in the eyes, the mind, and the heart of your customer. To stay competitive in today's world, you want to build a business where people want to come to work and where they have a chance to be great at doing what they love the most. And you accomplish that by leading through values. Because when you lead through values, people excel, profits increase, and your brand becomes more human. Now make sure you download your free guide at leadthroughvalues.com. I'm James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer, and you're listening to Lead Through Values. Hello everyone, this is James, and this is Lead Through Values, where we talk about how to create a sustainable, scalable business where people want to come to work because their values align with the values of the organization. Now, I enjoy conversations around leadership development because you can't create a high-performing culture without strong, committed leadership. And that's exactly why I've been looking forward to this conversation today. I am blessed to have Brent Henley, CEO of the Pyramid Group, join us. Now, Brent founded the Pyramid Group in 1980 to assist clients in increasing performance, in sales, customer service, supervision, and leadership in various industries, including manufacturing, financial, service, technology, and even community leadership. Now, one thing that caught my attention when we spoke is that he's a practicing industrial psychologist. Can't wait to learn more about that. Emphasizing performance technology for rapidly changing businesses. He's also the author of The Nexus Initiative, a book he wrote about how giving is the catalyst for helping you reach your long-term goals and growth initiatives. So Brent, welcome to Lead Through Values. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you today. Hey, James, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and we got connected. I always like to, to let people know and, and just remind people of the power of connection and network. And so this was a mutual connection that we both have. And I think for you, it probably goes back quite a few years. Uh, but Barry Richter, uh, a mutual connection said, Hey, we need to know each other. And I think you guys would have a lot of fun talking about stuff. And so when we got together via zoom a week or so ago, um, I knew instantly that, that there would be a lot of fun conversation that we would have today. So, um, I don't know where you want to jump in necessarily, but like, what's the word culture mean right now in 2021? How important is, is culture in what you're seeing? Wow. What a, that's a, that's a large question, but here's, <laughs> here, here's the first thing that comes to mind is that when, when the lockdown happened and businesses sent people home, the ones that had a really good, well-defined, strong culture kept it. Mm, very true. And the ones that didn't have a well-defined culture struggled mm -hmm. to find what works and what didn't work and what the messaging should be. And, and you know, they, they just 
they just struggled. It, it, it was like um, it was like the ones who had a well-defined culture uh, could just keep swimming in water, but the ones that didn't had to swim in gravy. And it was, you know, it was thick and it was arduous. And, and I saw that, I saw that from here and uh, talked to CEOs that were having and struggling with uh, trying to define that call, you know, define what that means and, and really def- trying to instill a, a culture during a pandemic is even harder than when it is face-to-face life, you know, eight to five Monday through Friday kind of thing. Yeah, for so, sure. For sure. But, but I, I think for me, culture is, first of all, you, you have to define it and, and you have to know what it is and you have to write it down. And if you don't do those things, then you don't really have a culture. It's just a, a wish in your head. I, I believe that a hundred percent. That's one of the things that, that struck me when we spoke, uh, you know, previously was our, both of us are very focused on the behavior element of it. Like what, mm-hmm. what does it look like? What do you see on a daily basis? How, how does culture show up when you're doing an interview, when you're leading a team meeting, when you're doing a performance review or, or just sitting down and planning out a strategy. Like I think the strategy plan of, you know, the five-year strat plan of years ago has been thrown away. It's been scrapped because it just, things are moving so quickly anymore. And so, so even just take something like the kind of the concept of innovation. Uh, a lot of businesses say they're innovative, but if you don't have a culture of innovative where you're asking questions and you're experimenting with things, kind of question, do you actually have a culture of innovation. So what, what's some of the things that you've seen with that? Well, I think in, in number one is that uh, um, I, I agree innovation has to be a part of uh, any kind of strategy, but, but you have to define what that really means. And, and, and any of the words that we use for um, uh, culture has to be defined in terms of behavior. You know, mm-hmm, right. what is it, what is it that I'm seeing when I see something. So for instance, you know, we have, we have these words like integrity get thrown around all the time. So what, but what is integrity? Integrity is, is telling the truth. So the way to describe integrity in terms of behavioral is that uh, we always tell the truth. We're always transparent with all of our policies and procedures. Um, If, if something's going to go awry, we're going to, we're going to let people know in advance that it may go sideways. We're not going to wait till it goes sideways, but you know, you have to define what integrity looks like, you know, what we see happening. Sometimes we call those operating principles. I like mm. to just call them behavior. Yeah. You know, what, what would I see happening? And one of the things that I like to do with, um, with teams is once they identify what their values are, then we identify what the behaviors look like that would demonstrate each of those values. Absolutely. And, and that exercise can't be done in an hour. It has to be done over weeks uh, because people need some time to think about that and massage it and, and, uh, and see what that looks like. And it, and it changes occasionally as well. So, well, um, and I think, I think Brent, even I love that you said it that way because you can't rush that process. I, you, right. you simply can't because it doesn't come across as genuine. It's not authentic. And, and yes, you could put a few leaders into a room 
or you could hire a consultant agency to come in and and help you define them, discover and define them. But would they be real? And that's the challenge right there. And so that I I really appreciate the fact that that you're kind of reinforcing or and affirming that it's a process that takes time because it has to be molded over. And and if you if you do the discovery without the defining, uh, they're they're left. They're, they're too ambiguous. People don't know what it means. And you have, I understand what integrity means in my own definition. Somebody else interprets integrity somewhat differently. And now you can't necessarily coach it slash duplicate it. And then you're left with, again, what I would consider is basically confusion on those attributes. Yeah. And, you know, we have, we have lots of examples where we can help uh, start the process of understanding what your team values are through worksheets and exercises and all of those kind of things. Uh, but it's after that that the organization has to customize its own definitions of what those look like. So, you know, a, a good a good simple example that I like to give people is is the Chick Fil A experience. I don't I don't know if you've had that, but um, you know their culture is. You know, it, it doesn't matter how busy they are. Yeah, you're going to get greeted nicely. <clears throat> you are, yes. By, you know, by a by an 18 year old <laughs> who has a personality. And if you go through the drive-in line, well, first of all, they ought to be in charge of all of the vaccinations in America because <laughs> right. they run their drive they run their drive-in lines the most efficient way possible. And uh, because they they want their people, you know, they want their people to experience their sandwiches as quickly as they order them. And they just instill that in people. And the other thing they do is when they hire somebody, they just don't throw them on the front line. I mean, they, you know, they, they onboard them in a very deliberative way. And, uh, and if they suspect that that person is not going to be able to deliver the goods, they don't let them go past onboarding. They just say, That's Hey, true. this is not for you. Yeah. This is not for you. Well, you know, we'll help you get another job, but you know, this is not the space for you. And so uh, that that kind of deliberateness in selecting the right people is really key, because once you select the wrong people and you've dealt with this, once you select the wrong people, first of all, it takes them too long to liberate, uh, liberate them from the organization. And um, and once they do, it causes some pain and um, and it it causes pain while they're there. Um, And so. It, you know, it, it, all, all of that works together when you have your culture, then you can figure out what kind of people you need. Yeah. Well, you know, it's as you bring up Chick-fil-A, I, I, we have a, a couple of Chick-fil-A's in, in right in, in our hometown here. And um, one of the things that struck me as, as incredible about them is they're thriving right now. They, their business, I don't know what their numbers are, but I, they're not suffering. And up here in in Iowa, um, by the way, we should probably let people know you're you're down in Louisiana, correct? I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of Cajun country. There you go. Yeah, and so we're up here in and uh, what we started to see happen with Chick Fil A was before there was lockdowns, before the pandemic hit, they were a busy restaurant because the the quality of service is good, the food is good, all of these things, and so we were seeing two lanes open up and then 
you know, even a couple of years ago, it was they're bringing people outside uh, to, you know, to take orders with the iPads and swipe your card out there. And and then when you come up to the next person in the drive through, it says, Are, is your name James? Yes, it is. OK, here's your receipt today, James. Have a pleasant day. And then, you, you know, you get your food and I've timed this. I, I don't know if you and I talked about this or not, but I've timed this. Uh, one day I was in a, a line that was, I think, 11 or 12 cars in front of me. And from the time that I entered the line, not from when I gave my order, but from the time I entered the line to the time I drove away with seven minutes and 32 seconds, it was remarkably fast. Um, uh, and it was like they knew, <laughs> you know, they had innovated ahead of time. They were very prepared for something like what 2020 threw at us. And, and again, they're right. thriving. And they have one of their values is based around innovation and growth and always trying to get better where their competition right now is suffering because they're still doing it the old way. They, they're, it's like they're not even paying attention to what Chick-fil-A is doing. They're just trying to do the old thing through the mm-hmm. through maybe the one or two window service. Yeah. So that's the thing about. So obviously Chick-fil-A, uh, it, I mean, if we if we unbundled their uh, culture. Obviously, Chick-fil-A is thinking about, uh, you know, the future of that experience because McDonald's, Burger King, all of their competitors simply copied what Chick-fil-A did. So, you know, so obviously their philosophy about innovation is, you know, we're going to see what others do and not not be a leading innovator, but be a lagging innovator. Ah, yeah. And so and and there are and, and that's okay. I mean, um, for example, in my company, I'm not a I'm not a leading technology guy. I don't buy the first Apple product that comes out. You know, I wait and see what the reviews are and and how it's going to impact our customers and their experience with us. And then I select the best technology based on that. So I'm not a lagging innovator in technology. I'm not a leading innovator, but I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. And so, but you have to, you have to purposely think about that stuff and define what's right for you uh, because you certainly don't want to be hiring a bunch of people who have the philosophy of being leading innovators and then they get in your company and you're not, you're going to just frustrate the bejesus out of them. And so, uh, so that's why understanding your values, understanding your culture, defining it, having it written down helps you immensely throughout the whole business journey. It's very, very interesting again to think about is, you know, do, do you hire people based on your company values or do you hire people based on their values? You know, that's, that, that's the subject that comes up, a question that comes up a lot. And, and I've always approached this way is as an organization, you have to know what makes you special what makes you uniquely better than your competition. what, problem you solve better than others. And, and then you look for people that, that can buy into that, that can fit into that. Um, I worked for a company several years ago where we were incredibly entrepreneurial minded. Uh, our, our, our entire organization was based around an entrepreneurial ownership style mindset. And, um, we recruited people to join us, uh, when we were growing, you know, we just were having explosive growth actually. And we learned a lesson through that, that, um, if we brought somebody in 
that didn't have that particular mindset. Like they are good people. They're great workers. They have a lot of experience. They know good things. But in that environment, the way we were structured, they were so used to having um, a, a much more rigid plan and almost having like marching orders to execute. Well, we were like, no, you need to go and create those marching orders so others can execute. And they, if we had the wrong person, they mm-hmm. floundered and, and it was almost, no, it wasn't almost, it was unfair to that person because we didn't do a good job through the interviewing process of sharing that or doing a good job of asking enough questions around that. We learned how to do that better because we had some good people that just didn't make it. It wasn't that they were bad people and then couldn't do the work. It wasn't the right fit. Yeah. So, um, and that, 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 that thing has happened so often that uh, it caused uh, one of my colleagues and I, Bob McKechnie, to actually develop a new product that we launched this year called Right People Right Now. Okay. Which, which is, an, it, it is it's meant for small to medium-sized businesses who don't have a big HR department or can't afford consultants like me, but really want to focus on getting a culture and hiring the right people. And it's it online tutorial. It's really a cool product, but it 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 talks about you know we talk about culture and how important that is to finding that, and then and then uh, aligning uh, your candidates' values with your values. They got to be aligned, right? So one of our clients who's used this product just completely changed the way they do interviewing because they're a, they're in a very competitive business. And they realized they hadn't hired very competitive people. And so once he changed the way he asked questions in the interview to define competitiveness, because it's one of their values in their culture, he was able to eliminate, although they're good people, he was able to eliminate the people who didn't have the competitive mindset and find people who had the competitive mindset and therefore accelerate his business. And so, and it changed, you know, just changed the whole way that they did business. And so, um, uh, but when you don't know what you're, what you stand for, you're likely to stand for anything. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that's not what you're trying to do. Life's too short to be able to and invest in a business when you're, when you have to struggle like that. Well, one of the things that, that uh, stands out then is you, you have to create a great employee experience. If you want to deliver the top level customer experience, it all begins with the employee experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, I I believe that's what we're talking about when we get down to culture. Um, Culture to me is always synonymous with the word performance. It drives how you communicate, how you make decisions, how you hire, how you develop, uh, how you let people go if that's a necessary piece. And so from a performance mindset um, that you're creating a, 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 an experience where people want to come to work, where they see an opportunity to not just be a number, but to be heard, to have ideas, to, to like be challenged, I think even, you know, I think there's, a, there's an element of that. Um, high performance cultures aren't for passive people or for people that are just looking to do a job. And, and that's right. one of the big shifts that, that I think that we're seeing, or maybe it's not even so much a shift, but maybe it's a gap that's widening. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I, I would throw that, 
I would throw that more to you where you've had more experience dealing with that. I think it's a leadership issue. And so, um, and the, you know, I, I can think of companies that, well, think of uh, the company WeatherTech. Um, e- even in their ads, you get the idea of what kind of culture they have, which is very respectful of their employees. Mm, yes. Look, it, it, it's got to be boring to make a floor mat, okay? <laughs> and I mean, it, I mean, how challenging can this be? It's a repetitive process. But you can tell by the employees that they interviewed that they love their job. And I bet the reason is they've got supervisors that are walking around, checking on people, making sure they're okay, making sure their family's okay, making sure they have the tools that they need, that they're taking breaks, that they're um, they're cared for. Mm. Because basically that's what people need. Uh, they they want to know that they're being cared for and not exploited. Yeah. And, uh, and having a caring environment is not being a snowflake or a wuss. Uh, you know, having a caring environment is about um, profitability. Mm. So let's let's go there for a second because <clears throat> that may not be the first on on people's minds right there. So w- just explain a little bit further what you meant between the difference between that caring mindset and profitability. So, <clears throat> um, so you make a mistake at work. Are you going to get yelled at? Or are you going to get coached? And if you're going to get coached, you're being cared for. Because what we're telling you is that we believe in you. You made a mistake. Okay. Let's don't make it again. But let's teach you or help you make sure you understood what you did so you don't make those mistakes again. Because people don't wake up every day thinking, I can't wait to go to work and make a whole bunch of mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and, and and sometimes, and it, but if there's a culture of you're gonna you're gonna get yelled at every time you make a mistake. Guess what happens when you make a mistake? You don't own up to it. You start to deflect it. Um, you start you, you start to tell people, well, the reason I made the mistake is this instead of instead of owning the mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. That's how we learn. And so when when I'm in organizations, you know, I like to ask them. So how do you guys treat mistakes? Mm. And, and if they tell me, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but what we do is we coach up to those mistakes and we make sure that people know that uh, we're going to be there to help them and, and there's a safety net. Uh, or is it, well, you know, we yell at them and scream at them and point our fingers in their face. And do, that tells you a lot about the culture you got going on there. Yeah. And that's, that won't be a high performing culture. It, it's not sustainable. It's, it's probably not even scalable, not this day and age. It might've been a few decades ago because what happens like, here, here's me. I'll just use myself as an example. If, if you're going to do to limit me uh, and I have this, I have this fear, we'll just use the word fear of making a mistake. I'm probably not going to try too hard to push the envelope anywhere that puts me outside of my natural gifts. That's, that's kind of a a natural place for me is to experiment and to live a little bit more on that cutting edge and to say, what if, and, and if, if I don't feel like I have the empowerment to go and do the, what if I'm going to feel disempowered, I'm going to become disengaged and I might even move into like that toxicity. I've been a toxic person, a, a toxic employee before. I know what it's like. I know how I got there. 
Um, and that's, that's a different subject for a different day, but I've, I've talked about that before, especially it's something I always share when I'm working with leadership groups, uh, one-on-one, uh, many times that subject will come up. How do you deal with it? What does it look like? And what's that mindset? But, but where we're talking there is you will kill creativity. You will kill solutions. You will stop productivity in its tracks if people are in this climate, this culture of fear um, and and control, so so we've got to like that's again where you can't have that as a value and then do the opposite, and that's right. maybe something else to even just dive into. Now, if you want to, you know, if you're a leader and you want a company where people just do what they're told and that's it, that's easy. You know, go create that. You're gonna, you're probably gonna find enough performers to be able to help you do that. You may not be able to hold on to them for all that long, but because they're not gonna be happy. But if you're trying to, you know, think about you know, innovation and creativity, those two things mean mistakes. You Absolutely, yeah. You can't be creative and innovative without some mistakes and feedback and. Um, and and accepting feedback and listening to what customers have to say and listening to what your employees have to say. So it's, yeah, it's a, and again, it comes back to what kind of company are you trying to create? On the thought of the employee experience, customer experience side of things, um, again, another big time gap. Uh, I see well-intended marketing, um, whether it's agencies or done internally that talks about creating a top level world-class, whatever the, the cliche or words that they're using to describe it, customer service slash customer experience. And people are pretty savvy. Like we're, we're all consumers and we absolutely know when, when we've been, I don't know what the right word is. It's almost like a sham, like where you see, um, hey, come check out the new brewery. Come check out the new restaurant. Come check out our new store, our electronic store. Uh, we're going to take care of you. We're going to listen. We're going to match you up. But if you get in there and you can't find help or or the help is lacking in anything from uh, just being attentive to being distracted to being downright rude or, or all the opposite of all those things. When that experience doesn't match, you've got, you don't have a customer experience issue. You don't, you don't hire the consultant to help you with there. You hire the consultant to help you on the employee experience side. Yeah. So we, uh, it's a few years back, but we worked on a project for a, um, a retail, uh, outfit. And the first thing we do is I, I, I and our other colleagues go in and, and, and become customers. We want to, we want to document what the customer experience is. And, and in this one particular store I was in, um, I eavesdropped on two, uh, two employees talking about how their customers suck and they, and their customers are uneducated about their products. And I mean, just, you know, ranting for five minutes. And, uh, so, you know, I reported that back to, uh, the chief executive officer to say it like this, you have an opportunity here to be able to transform these two people, but I bet they're not the only two people, but the message, you know, we haven't sent to them is that 
if we believe that customers are uneducated, then that's a clue that we should educate them. And that's our responsibility. Mm. It's not the customer's responsibility to know what those things are. And it's the, you know, and, and I bet that the way that those employees are treating customers are the same way that leaders are treating them. Mm-hmm. Because Herb, was it Herb Keller with Southwest Airlines said that if you want to make your customers first, make your employees more firster? <laughs> yeah, so that's great. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, because, it, and uh, I think that's true. It's, you've, you can't focus on the customer experience without focusing deeply on the employee experience. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is James, and I want to tell you about an upcoming virtual coaching program called Accelerate. It's for high-achieving, success-minded people just like you who demand greatness of themselves and expect it of everyone around them. Accelerate will help you drastically improve communication in your business, reduce bottlenecks and busyness, help spark innovation and even creative thinking, and absolutely maximize team performance. Now, Accelerate is for business owners, executives, it's for up and coming leaders, anyone who is wanting to advance their leadership and to build their business capacity in 2021. The training starts in February and space is limited. Learn more at jamesmayhew.com. Now back to the podcast. I have a, an ongoing, I would call friendly debate uh, with a marketing friend uh, who's actually, I've always thought she's, she's much more than marketing. She, she really understands brands and the development of a brand. And in fact, we originally were connected because we found out that we were working uh, on a, a mutual project for, for the same client. And she had done some work about six months prior to me coming on. And, and mine was to help them discover and define their values well, she was doing a lot of the same homework that I was doing and nobody had told me that. So I'm essentially coming in just a few minutes later, duplicating it. Well, as we began to, to get to know each other and, and uh, really have enjoyed learning from her and, and I, hopefully she's enjoyed learning from me, uh, one of the things that we debate is, is it brand or is it culture that comes first? And I don't think that it matters, but where I arrived with with Amy was that it, it's not that they touch each other it's that they they are completely fused together is kind of where I landed you can't separate them in fact you really can't have one without the other at least not in a sustainable way what what kind of thoughts have you had around that yeah so I think of uh you know I, I think if if it's the chicken and the egg first I think you're right these are you know kind of fused together but Again, you've got to define, if you're going to define your culture at the very same time, you're defining your brand. Agreed. Because I I think of brand as the internal and external behaviors of what our values are. Mm. And so, um, and, and how we live our brand, but, and brand is more than a logo and, you know, having the, the right uh, letterhead and, and, all of those kinds of things. A, a brand is an experience. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and I, and I think the, the customer experience and the employee experience is all around understanding your culture and, and how you want to live that culture, which is how you want to live that brand. Yeah. And, and so, um, 
you know, you think about another one of our clients is um, we have we have some trucking clients. They, you know, uh, uh, privately owned trucking uh, companies. And uh, I got to tell you, James, you know, 25, 30 years ago, safety wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, it, it has become a big deal for a lot of different reasons. One is, uh, you know, every a personal injury lawyer on the planet has got to run an ad uh, all day long about trucking, trucking companies. So it's gotten expensive. But the other thing too, is a mindset shift that's changed inside the trucking companies, not from a profitability standpoint, but from a human standpoint of we want our people to go home each night. We don't want them dead. Right. Or having killed somebody else. Yeah. And so now that becomes their brand of safety. And, and 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 non-negotiable behaviors that if if I'm a driver and I walk out and I see I've got a bulge in my tire, just because we've promised the customer we're going to have that delivery on time, I still got to change that tire. But now what I need to do is call the customer and say, look, we're, we're going to be an hour late. And the reason we're going to be an hour late is because we're going to safely deliver your goods to you because we got to change a tire and the customer is going to be okay with that because safety, safety is the number one thing. And so it becomes a part of their life. It becomes, you know, who they are. It's, it's, again, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. I love that phrase. I just wrote it And non-negotiable means that's where we do die on the Hill like that. You, if you don't live this one out, you don't have a position here at this company. Yeah, um, it's not it's not arguable. It's it's not up for argument. It's non-negotiable. Yeah. Uh but it also made me think about some other types of things when you when you were kind of coming back to the discovery piece of of values here and how that impacts brand. Um one thing that I make a point to talk about is aspirational culture. I'm sorry, values, aspirational values and how those impact your culture because one of the things that you hear is, well, we aren't that. And it's what's well, like true. When will we be that? Uh, what is our arrival? And so, so I, a little shift that I read about, um, it was in a book called No Silver Bullets. It's actually a church growth book. Uh, the author is Daniel M. And he talked about one of the micro shifts that there is, is, is making sure that you go from destination-based thinking to directional-based thinking. Meaning, uh, and I think it plays right in with what Simon Sinek is talking about in, say, an infinite game concept, which is there's no arrival. Excellence isn't something that you attain and hold on to forever. It's something that you have to fight for and strive for and continue to innovate for every day. It's not about winning. It's about leading. And if you can lead, then hopefully that that you become the favorite. Um, so from a from an aspirational standpoint, I love the idea that this is a, it sets a bar. This is what we're trying to achieve on a daily basis. And you can write behaviors around aspirational, just like you can around sure. say core values or whatever. Um, uh, and then the other piece of that too, is recognizing that there's accidental values that emerge. And so this is where uh, I'm really curious about what, what experiences you've had again, you know, with this uh, Brent around, accidental that's the that's the times when you come into an organization and you discover that that um let's say it's a manufacturing environment uh, 
we don't waste or we're always on time might be something that we say, but you start to probe and you start to investigate and you're asking questions of people and you realize that, man, we actually are kind of hiding some of the waste. We're hiding a mistake or we're covering up something or we have inadvertently created through our own systems this lack of accountability. And while we promise that we're on time, about 75% of the time we're not. Uh, have you seen that piece and, and how have you addressed that? So um, we, we do a lot of work with uh, the casino industry across the country. And one of the things that often happens is that uh, when, when they go to open, uh, you know, 90, day, 90 to 120 days before they open, they're on a hiring frenzy. Sure. Uh, and and uh, even though they might have well-defined culture and know what they're looking for, um, they all, almost always fall into the trap of, the, you know, I, I need a thousand employees. Just get me a thousand employees. Yep. And so HR then gets the message or the recruiters get the message. Okay, well, we're just going to abandon all of our standards um, other than compliance standards. And we're just going to get a thousand folks. And then they realize after they open up that of those thousand folks, that 250 of them, you know, don't align with the corporate values. And so I, I give you an example. One of our clients, their one of their non-negotiables was fun, fun, okay. And we define fun a lot of different ways. But when they when they would go open a property, they would abandon fun. They just need a thousand bodies. And then you know, six weeks later, we realized we got two hundred fifty people that aren't any fun, and they're killing us. <laughs> right. <laughs> In an entertainment industry, and we hate fun. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, you know, and no one's having any fun. Yeah. And so, I mean, because, you know, when you open up a casino, the first week is a lot of fun. It's exciting. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of, of fun going on. But then you get into the routine of running the business, and it ain't no fun anymore. And, you know, people are tired of smiling all the time. And so um, it's – uh. So yeah, you know, you you can see examples like that. But I'll give you another one. So, you know, FedEx um, is their their mission is to deliver the world on time. And um, you know, one of their uh, one of their core values uh, is that they help each other to make sure they get those packages delivered on time. And so, if a FedEx truck breaks down. They don't have to, the driver doesn't have to go through dispatch to get help. He just contacts the closest driver near him. And that one comes and rescues that driver. They combine the packages and they work together to get both of their packages to delivered in both service areas. And they abandon the truck. That's when mm -hmm. they call the dispatch. We got an abandoned truck over at, you know, Broadway and Cromwell and, and somebody will go pick it up, but they're going to deliver the packages on time. The United States Postal Service does not have that belief. No. If no. one of their trucks breaks down, they have to stay. The, 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 you know, the postal carrier has to stay with the vehicle until the till the tow truck comes. And then they then they tow the whole thing along with all the packages in it to the maintenance shed to get fixed. So those packages could get delayed by a day or two. 
And I think that's, you know, the difference between living your values and not living your values. That is an awesome example. And it, and I just, again, I wanted to scramble and write a few things down in your story here because I love to like take things apart around that. So thanks for sharing that because I want to know why did that happen? Like at what point did FedEx, you know, integrate that solution into their system? Because it may have been previously that you did have to call dispatch and here's what's happened yeah. and they send somebody and then yeah. they were listening to their drivers is what I'm assuming happened. So they had a culture of, Hey, let's ask, let's listen to what our frontline employees are actually experiencing. It makes no sense to do that. And here's why they took it ultimately to, it's going to delay a package and that violates our number one core value our number or what we're all about. Yeah. And so, so then I think about, what really comes down to is if you're going to trust a driver and then abandon that truck, I mean, I, I well, I guess I just said it in, in my example there. It's all about trusting that employee, isn't it? Like to, to like, we don't need to call dispatch and let it run up through the, the ranks and let it run back down through the ranks. Here's what we're going to do. They trust them. So how, yeah. like, well, if you write a value around that, or even when you're training, that has to be taught, but it has to start long before you're ever, that employee ever starts there. You've got to bring that into the, the hiring process, don't you? Yeah. You know, I kind of envision it that they probably had some of these incidents happen and, and, uh, it had some dissatisfied customers probably had to refund some fees because they didn't yeah. deliver the packages on time. And instead of, a group of executives held up in a room trying to reach a solution. They just went and asked the people who are closest to the problem. And that's the drivers. Yeah. And the drivers probably told them, well, look, man, you, you make me call dispatch. And then I need two <laughs> levels of seniority to approve it. And by that time it's 12 o'clock. Right. And I'm sitting here with a broken down truck. But two hours ago, I could have called buddy and he could have, we could have had everything delivered by noon. And so, well, and in yeah. and the day age of uh, day and age of two way radios or even cell phones or whatever other technology that they are having, but I'm I'm just thinking back even you know twenty years ago, you you could see maybe the other FedEx guy and and flag him down or maybe you guys you know you crossed paths a little bit and and right. it would really stink if you had to like sorry I can't help you you know it really sucks to be you right now and and finally well, they 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 figured that out. It, it just reminded me, even in the public sector, so we work with a couple of police departments, and one of the things is is that um, they they use their radios for official business. Uh, they use their cell phones for um, informants, uh, working with the public, working with each other. And so, um, but it's about, and, and, and police departments didn't used to do that. It, it took leadership within police departments to say, let's let's use all the available tools we have to protect and serve our citizens uh, in the right way here. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's about trusting your employees to give you the right ideas. Absolutely. How do you write a value of trust? Because that's that's a big word. There is a lot packed into that. So how do you write values? How do you break it down to see what are those observable behaviors? So if, you know, my, the question I would have for uh, a group is to say, um, if we're practicing trust, what would I see happening mm -hmm. at the individual level? 
Okay. And, um, and you might get, and, and now that's a pretty heady question. So people got to think about that for a while, but you might get things back like, um, um, I'm not going to be two faced. Uh, if I have a problem with you, I'm going to go to you. I'm not going to go to somebody else. Yeah. I'm not going to throw you under the bus for something. Um, if it's in your department, I'm going to come ask you before I ask another department what the solution is to the problem in your department. So we, we might get 50 or 60 of these kinds of things and then start whittling them down and, and combining them into what those behaviors look like. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and then we'll, in, in three months, let's go look at them and see if they're still relevant. And three months later, look at them again because things evolve and we get a little bit better at understanding what those behaviors should look like. That's why you can't go in just to do an event, so to speak. You got to come back and revisit these things and uh, see what they are. Because even over your individual life, James, I'm sure the same way, is that your values have changed as you've as you've aged. Sure they have. And so, and so um, the same thing happens for a company. Their values change over time. I, I, um, I grabbed a little card. Um, I'll show it to you through the Zoom here so you can see. It's just a business card size. And this is an actual client that I work with on a daily basis. They, um, uh, we just did a training with them Saturday morning. We, we created a university for them to bring employees through. And we really focused on three of their defined cultural attributes. So, so it's kind of like core values on steroids in a way. So they're all statements. And, and I just want to read you how we structured the first, well, all three of them all begin with the word we. So okay. the first, the first attribute that, that we defined as a group over, um, I think this was about a 10 week process, start to finish. We trust and respect each other. And the reason that one became first was because as we were interviewing, and I'm in the front of a room and we're using whiteboards and tear off sheets and post-it notes and asking these questions, trust and respect came up over and over and over. And my favorite challenge question to anytime that comes up is, <clears throat> you know, is so what? It's just those two words. So what? What does it mean? And I think they get tired of me asking it because I'm really probing until we get into exactly how you framed the question, which was on a daily basis, what would I expect to see? What does it look like? And so, so we came up with some bullet points underneath of this one. And this one has, um, there's five bullets. Every one of them is a phrase slash sentence. They all start with the word you. And that's the system that, that I continue to use with a lot of effectiveness on, with my clients is, hey, we as an organization, this is what we are. We, th this is, in fact, an agreement. When you come to work with us, this is what you are agreeing to do. Um, so, for example, one of the bullets underneath, we trust and respect each other to make it a definable uh, repeatable, teachable behavior, you constantly look for ways to help each other out. Now, can we see that one? Absolutely. Cause that would be my mm -hmm. next question. Can we see it? Yes. Does that mean we can measure it? Yeah, we can evaluate that to some degree. Absolutely. Obviously there's some subjectivity to it, but every sure. evaluation has subjectivity to it. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is can we teach it? 
Can we recruit for it? Can we look for it in the hiring process? And can we teach it? If it hits a yes on all of those, then we've got something pretty good. If one of those is, eh, I'm not so sure, then we got to go back to the drawing board. Um, but that, that to me is so critical. Uh, uh, and and I'm, I'm working with them now on the third phase, which is we're bringing it to life on a daily basis. So discover, define, and then it has to be driven daily. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're... I think you're on the right track. I, uh, a similar experience where we're working with a, uh, a local parks and recreation department and helping them to create their values. It's a new, it's a new leadership team mm-hmm. and trust and mutual respect was one of theirs. And what they defined it as is uh, disclosure without judgment. Ooh, nice. I like that. And um, um, we, we, we support ideas and opinions without fear of consequences. Mm. So can we measure those? Can we observe those things? Absolutely. Can we yeah. measure them? Yes, we can. And, yeah. and one of the things they had to learn was that in their team meetings, somebody would have an idea and then, but invariably somebody would say, oh, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> well, that's not trust and mutual respect. So, you know, we've, if we're going to have a, uh, make sure that there's no consequences to the opinions we share, then, you know, we have to suspend judgment. Hmm. And can you train that? Yeah, you can. Um, is it, is it easy to train? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we can do is we can hire for it. You know, we can hire people who are, who find it easy to suspend judgment and accept new ideas and so, uh, because when it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, if you're trying to be creative and innovative, you can't be sitting there judging ideas all day long. I mean, that's, right. I mean, you got to, that's the def, the definition of brainstorming is to put anything and everything up on the wall. Um, and, and, and then you can go back and, and, uh, evaluate it. Well, I, to me, it's, it's kind of the, it comes down to this. It's, um, skepticism versus cynicism. And I, I, I yeah. appreciate and value skeptical thinkers. I think that's a, a critical skill. Cynicism isn't, you know, that's, that's where we're just yeah. going to be negative about it and shoot holes in it. Um, Brent, as we kind of wind down our time here, um, we didn't yet touch on what does it mean to be an industrial psychologist? That was a phrase I, I hadn't heard before. Um, is that, I mean, that's an actual degree that you hold, correct? It's a master's degree in industrial and organizational behavior, right? Yeah. From uh, industrial psychology. I got that master's degree at Louisiana tech university. And so, um, but basically it's a form of psychology that's not clinical, but it works on, it works on the behaviors and the performance, uh, at work. So it just deals with work behaviors, um, and um, and and it, it you know it it evolved out of um, the, the the work that a lot of um, uh, business people did on what are the um, uh, most effective, efficient, and profitable behaviors that people need to have. But when you talk about psychology, is you know is is about behavior, mm-hmm. and so um, but we we just deal with it at work. So. It, really, it's um, uh, it, over the years, we've ha- had a lot of different names to it. The, the current thinking is it's human uh, human performance improvement, HPI. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot. And so uh, because industrial psychologists scares the bejesus out of people, they think you're going to 
somehow, <laughs> you know, analyze them and tell them that they've got something missing in their mind or something. But right. It, right. It, but it's, it's about human HPI, human performance improvement. Yeah. And so um, the other thing I wanted to ask you briefly about too, is uh, talk, talk to us about your book. Um, okay. how, did, how did that, how did that come to be? Um, is, can people still purchase it? How, how do people get it now? Sure. So, um, um, year, years ago, I was, uh, um, uh, frustrated with going to chamber of commerce events and other kind of events to do networking because what would happen and, and I'm, I've always been active in the chamber of commerce or local business, uh, uh, organization. It's just a good place to meet business owners and for our business and, and, and know them. And, um, but you'd show up at these events like business after hours, James. And so you'd see the insurance guys all huddled in one corner and then yeah. the cell phone people in another corner and real estate. A, and no one's networking. They're just having a beer. And uh, and so I thought, man, there's got to be a there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and so I just came up with a system uh, and started teaching it to my clients, especially in their sales professionals and the and the. Uh, and then I had a friend of mine who says, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. You need to write a book. And <laughs> and every time I'd sit down to write a book, the first two paragraphs, I thought, well, this is crap. You know, no one's going to read this because uh, when you when you read your own writing, it's never any good. So I was sharing with a friend of mine about that experience. And he goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I'll come over to your house, sit at your kitchen table. You talk and I'll type. Huh. So we so we did that for six weeks. And then we sent all of that to an editor at the local university, and then we put out a book. And so it's my it's my process on how to do networking. The, but the philosophy is the law of human reciprocity. The more you give, the more you get. So when you go to a um, networking event, you're not going for you. You're going for people in your nexus. You've got a group of people that you're trying to help build business with the same group, eight people you're trying to build business. But when I go to a chamber event, I'm not going for me. I'm going to see if there's anybody out there that can help people on my nexus. Wow. And they're doing the same thing for me. So we're constantly communicating about who we met and ideas that we got and books we read and white papers we read. And we're, we're exchanging um, what we call gifts with each other. Gifts are sometimes a referral. Gifts are sometimes an idea, but we're ex exchanging gifts and um, helping each other build each other's business. Yeah. So, um, so that's the book. Yeah, you can get it. You can go to, um, you can go to my website, thepyramidgroup.com. And over on the right, you'll see the Nexus initiative. You can click on there and uh, uh, request a book be happy to, uh, uh, send you one. And, um, I think they're 15 bucks, something like that. Um, and they still may be available at Amazon, but Amazon's been kind of quirky lately about, um, about, uh, self, excuse me, self publishers. Hmm. So, um, someone told me that day that they tried to buy it uh, tried to buy my book on Amazon and Amazon told them it was going to be like a, a eight month wait. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, uh, just go to our website and we'll uh, make sure you get a book. 
can you download it as a Kindle version too, or any other yeah, kind of? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Very good. And it, it, does it live as an audiobook format yet? It does not. No, and probably won't. Okay. Uh, it's only a hundred. It's only a hundred pages long. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted. I didn't want to have a three hundred page book where I said the same thing three times, and. So I, I wanted you to be able to sit on a plane, read it. By the time you got off, you you know you're done. Sure. So, uh, um, so yeah. And then we have uh, we have some chambers of commerce that have decided to become what they call Nexus certified. Hmm. So the way that they run their events is on the Nexus format, and so and that's pretty cool to see because now when you go to an event, you don't have people clustering. Uh, by industries or by friend group now 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 they're all mixed up together and they're meeting each other and exchanging business cards and trying to figure out how to do business with each other it's it really gives a shop local initiative uh, uh, a lot of life yeah so well that's a great and initiative then, and then the other product that we you know came out with this year that uh, it's called rightpeoplenow.com so anybody wants to know how to uh, hire and retain retain the right people. Um, they can attend that webinar. It's a free webinar. They can look at that and um, and also our tutorial. Well, I'll make sure that when we I'll have links for that in the show notes. So if somebody's listening to this okay. and they're currently driving or getting ready for work, they can check that out later. So that's great. Great. Well, Brent, what a I feel like I, this is a conversation that I could continue for the rest of the afternoon. It's so much fun. There's like so many areas that we could explore yet. Um, it's just been a real joy to, to speak with you and uh, me too. And I hope we get to, hope we get to do it again in a few months. So I would maybe love there'll that. be, yeah, maybe there'll be something hot topic that, uh, uh, we can get your viewers, uh, really, uh, focused on. You betcha. All right. Well, you take care and uh, I look forward to talking with you again, Brent.